Welcome back to another edition of the PegCast. I'm your host, Michael Pagani, joined alongside Kingston Frontenac's defenseman, Jake Murray. Jake, welcome to the PegCast. Thank you again for coming on. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So, you know, there has been a lot of downtime uh, for all of us, especially for players in the OHL like you. What have you been doing to uh, kind of, I guess, spend this downtime that we've been in? Yeah, the, the first thing for me is uh, my family got a puppy uh, April 10th of last year after things kind of got shut down. Uh, so she just turned year old. Uh, she's still a little bit of a handful, but I've been spending a lot of time with her, helping my parents out as much as I can between the gym and skates. And uh, also uh, my family's kind of gotten back into board games. Uh, we've been playing Life, uh, Uno, and uh, Monopoly as well. So that's a little bit of a throwback back to the childhood, uh, but it's been fun. At least it's something to do because, uh, you know, like we've been messaging, it, it really is a chore to kind of find stuff to do because after a while, things do kind of get boring. Yeah, no, we're definitely on the same page there. It's uh, It's been really tough to uh, continue to find stuff to do once my day's kind of done at two or it, three o'clock, depending on my skates. It's... Uh, you know, once I'm I'm home and I'm showered and everything, and I'm kind of winding down for the night, it's uh, it's it's tough to find things to do. So I'll, I'll usually end up watching some hockey or TV with my family and and sitting around. But uh, I think that's just uh, the state of the world right now. You can only train for so long and so much of the day that you know it's good that you're finding other things to take your mind off hockey. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's been been about a 12 month off season now. So uh, obviously we haven't been in the gym the whole time. Gyms were closed uh, for a couple couple months in total, but uh, it definitely starts to wear and tear on your body a little bit. So uh, having those things to kind of just relax and step away from the physical side of uh, the training and off season is really nice. Cause you know, I'm sure it'd be really easy to overdo yourself right now. And uh, you don't want to go back to a season if we have one uh, feeling sore and stiff. And have you heard any updates on a potential OHL season? Uh, we haven't heard anything other uh, than, you know, what the general public would know. Uh, we're still waiting to hear back. Uh, seems to be pretty positive, though. It seems to be like there's uh, some progress being made. So I think hopes are pretty high right now. And as we kind of go back in time to that 12-month offseason you mentioned, how did you find out initially that the season was going to get canceled? Yeah, so we had a uh, practice the Thursday, I believe it was, I want to say March 12th. Um, and you know, it started off like a, a normal practice. Um, we had a game the Friday, so it was going to be a lighter one, uh, just some flow drills, 30, 40 minutes. Uh, but I believe about halfway through, uh, the coaches or our GM got word that uh, our games that weekend we're going to be canceled and we we're going to be going home for a week. Uh, so we just started to play some small area games, have a little bit of fun. And then the Friday, uh, we spent all day Friday, uh, kind of just at our billet house. We went to school uh, after school, a couple of us went out to eat and then, you know, we went home, played some video games for the rest of the night. And then the Saturday morning we went into the rink, our GM kind of broke it down for us, told us that we were going to be going home for at least a week, uh, told us to take our gear home and, whatnot and then uh, while we were at home I think it was a couple days after the week they told us that we wouldn't be having a season uh, or we wouldn't be coming back to finish the season uh, because of what was going on. I find it crazy that you know 
even though uh, the WHO, the World Health Organization, kind of announced on March 11th that, you know, the world is in a pandemic, we, you know, here in Canada kind of just went as normal life. You know, we were still packing uh, hockey games in the NHL. We still kind of went out to restaurants. We didn't really think of it as, you know, like we do now where, you know, everything is so uh, shut down and limited capacity. Yeah, uh, I definitely agree with you there. I think we were a little uh, too little too late. Um, we kind of probably let things go for a little bit too long and uh, we didn't quite see the, uh, the impact immediately. Uh, but once we started seeing the downsides, uh, they started to kind of pour down on us, it seemed like. And uh, a lot happened really fast and uh, adjustments had to be made really quickly as well. There's been a petition that's been circulating uh, by an OHL player, Andrew Parrott. Uh, you know, I, I signed the petition. Uh, I know I got some WHL buddies to sign uh, the petition as well. But, uh, you know, it's basically advocating uh, for, you know, there to be a season and just the effects of uh, not having a season on, you know, the draft status as well as mental health for players. Uh, you know, have you been aware of that petition that's been going around? Yeah, I signed it myself. Uh, I think it's it's a really good uh, idea. Definitely harmless. Nothing bad can come of it. But I think Andrew made some really good points, uh, especially when he touched on mental health there that, you know, for most of us, hockey's been our life for 14 years now. We started playing when we were four and uh, have been training and practicing ever since. So uh, not having hockey for a year uh, has, I don't want to say left us feeling purposeless, but uh, somewhat directionless. Like we don't know what we should be doing with our time because, you know, for so long, it was all about hockey training. Uh, everything you did was, oh, well, is it good for hockey? Is it going to, it's going to hurt, you know, my season, my, my training, my health, whatever. So um, not having something to, to train for a, a an exact date to to be prepared for a season to be prepared for uh, has been a struggle for a lot of guys. The WHL as well as the QMJHL have started up their seasons. What are your feelings on seeing them play and, you know, you guys being still left alone without a season yet? It's definitely frustrating. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, obviously, you know, uh, not just me, but all the guys in the OHL, we all, we all love hockey. Like I mentioned, it's our life. Uh, so seeing our peers, uh, guys that, you know, are in our, our draft class and whatnot, um, seeing them getting the chance to play and develop uh, when we're still at home uh, has definitely been tough to see. But um, with that being said, them playing is definitely uh, helping our case for starting up a season because uh, they're proving that they can do it pretty well ever since they've started back, uh, back up again. Uh, so, you know, the better it works out for them, uh, the better it looks for the OHL. Getting into your story here, you grew up in Oakville. Did you end up going to see a lot of Oakville Blades games? Yeah, there was uh, definitely a few years uh, throughout minor hockey where I think it was every Friday or Saturday night. Uh, if you wore your, your uh, Moha jersey, you got in for free. So uh, there'd be a, a bunch of guys uh, from all sorts of different teams there uh, rocking their Rangers jerseys and, and whatnot. So I definitely made it out to my fair share of Blades games. Uh, back when they were still wearing visors and, and could fight more regularly. So uh, that was kind of the hope that you'd go and you'd catch a fight or two. Because, uh, you know, being 11 and 12 years old, that's kind of the it one part of the you. game that you couldn't see. And uh, so, yeah, seeing it in person uh, was really exciting because, you know, you know, you could go to a Leafs game or you could go to a, like a St. Mike's Majors game at the time, but uh, you weren't guaranteed to fight. Um, but with the, the Blades games, they seem to be pretty frequent. Uh, 
few years back. So that was the, the main draw for us. It's crazy to see the time, you know, just how different times have changed. Uh, you know, growing up, you'd see a lot of fights, but nowadays it's a more skill-based, it's a faster league and fights are quite, you know, less. Yeah, uh, you're definitely right about that. You know, you look at the league now and uh, there's such an immense amount of skill and talent. Uh, and like you mentioned, speed, um, you know, so many guys can can just do it all. And um, you, you can see it in the, the offensive production in the league. You know, there's a lot of one-goal games that end up being 7-6, 6-5. Um, you know, and that's really entertaining for the fans to see. Uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with a 3-2 nail-biter as well. Um, but when you can go to a game and you can count on it being six to five uh, with, you know, back and forth, uh, odd man rush after odd man rush. Uh, it, it's definitely really, really exciting for the fantasy. Uh, sometimes, you know, it's not how you want to play, uh, depending on the, the team and the, the roster that you have. But um, there's no doubt about it that that many goals uh, and that much action has been good for the game. You are a Detroit Red Wings fan. Uh, throughout your just, I guess, hockey fan life, have you made it out to a lot of Red Wings games? Yeah, I was, uh, I've been to my fair share at uh, Joe Lewis, actually. Um, my parents grew up in Windsor, just across the river there. So uh, they were Red Wings fans. They were, that's why I'm a Red Wings fan. I was kind of born into it. But I actually made it to the last game at Joe Lewis Arena as well. Um, that was really cool. I have a couple uh, memories saved on my phone of, you know, the post game. Uh, the crowd was going nuts. You know, no one was even on the ice. Uh, so I mean, that's pretty historical arena. So uh, I was really glad that I got to make it out to that. You know, that's something I'll never forget. Um, me and my dad made the trip down and, and caught that last game. Um, and I, I don't think I've ever been a part of a crowd or an audience um, in that type of atmosphere. And I don't think I ever will be again. It really sucks that, you know, the whole Joe Lewis arena is destroyed. Like there's nothing left of it. And, uh, you know, it was such a historic arena filled with so many Stanley Cup uh, wins there. And, you know, just the atmosphere was amazing. It really embodied uh, the hockey town, uh, I guess, catchphrase that Detroit uses. Yeah, uh, you're definitely right there again. Um, you know, I think the big thing with Joe Lewis that it wasn't quite big enough. Uh, that was also, uh, in my opinion, one of the draws. Uh, it was a smaller building. So when it was packed, uh, it was loud. Um, and you could hear the fans and the atmosphere uh, was phenomenal as well. Uh, concourse, uh, to me, uh, I think it was one of the best in the league. You know, I'm probably a little bit biased. Uh, I've been to a few NHL rinks, but um, I think, you know, they've got the pillars like uh, a lot of teams do uh, with different uh, guys or Hall of Famers or current players uh, painted or wrapped on the poles. And, um, it was, you know, a little bit outdated, especially the bathrooms, but um, it was it was definitely an iconic read. And like you mentioned, there'd been a fair share of Stanley Cups won there. Do you model your game after any specific or any specific Red Wings, whether it's past or present, or do you just model your game after any NHL player? Um, Nick Lidstrom uh, is my favorite player of all time. So uh, he's definitely a guy that I really enjoyed watching. Uh, I was quite sad when he ended up retiring. I think everyone kind of saw it coming, but. Uh, he's a guy that I've always tried to look up to. You know, I got a lot of work to do to to be where he's at and play like he does. Um, but you know, he's he's a legendary defenseman. Not too many other defensemen uh, were as good as he was. You know, there's not many that were better than him. So 
Uh, and then in terms of current players, uh, there's a lot of guys that are really good players to look up to. Uh, even this year, Jeff Petrie has been phenomenal. Uh, Victor Hedman, as usual, uh, Roman Yossi. Uh, I, I tend to look up to guys who are solid on both sides of the puck and reliable in all situations. And those are just three guys that kind of pop up uh, off the top of my head. You started your hockey career with the Oakville Rangers in 2017-18, and you tallied 34 points in 35 games. What clicked for you during that season? I think uh, a combination of confidence in my skating ability as well as my size. I realized that um, my my physical uh, structure was an advantage for me. So uh, being a bigger defenseman and being able to skate uh, well uh, on top of that, uh, I like to use that to my advantage and kind of pick up pucks my own uh, my own end and control the breakout and join the rush as well. Um, now there was obviously some learning curves uh, on when to take chances and when not to. Um, but with uh, with the help of my coaches, uh, I've always had fantastic coaches growing up. Um, they kind of taught me uh, the situational, the hockey IQ side of it uh, and helped me incorporate it with my physical capabilities. Um, so yeah, the, the big thing for me was uh, my coaches really knew uh, how I played and how I could play uh, and helped me kind of pick and choose and uh, work in uh, my risk taking um, and help me kind of keep it to an appropriate level and not be too crazy. Yeah, you don't always want to, you know, ho uh, hold the line when, you know, you know that you don't have numbers coming back. Yeah, for sure. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, odd man rushes are a huge part uh, of the game today and with the amount of skill that there is in the league uh any odd man rush is dangerous so uh the more you can uh play it safe uh, when you don't have numbers and you know keep a, a three on two instead of a three on one uh the better because obviously there's a lot of guys who can score goals uh in any league so um the the less that you give up odd man rushes like that uh, the better it is obviously for your team you played with the Oakville Blades during that same season. How big of an adjustment was it to jump up to that level? It was quite the adjustment for me at the time. Uh, I played a couple regular season games throughout the year. Uh, I think my first one was actually in Buffalo at, uh, forgetting the name now, but uh, that was my first game there. That one uh, wasn't too bad. I felt like I actually fit in pretty well. Uh, I played a second regular season game don't remember who it was against but then I played I think it was five or six playoff games um mostly it was the Toronto Patriots that's who it was against but uh, that playoff series against the Patriots was uh, an eye-opener for me I got hit pretty hard a couple times got the wind knocked out of me and uh, there's one play in particular I think it was in game five or six uh we ended up losing seven four seven five um I got bullied off a puck in front of the net and uh whoever was ended up scoring. And I was like, wow, like, that's what it's going to be like at the next level. I got to be harder on guys. Uh, so, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 you, no, you finish, you finish. Yeah. So at that moment, it was just me realizing that I'm going to have to be a lot harder, uh, a lot stronger on pucks and uh, going into the off season, I'm going to have to kind of work my tail off to, to keep up and close that gap. Speaking on that playoff point, you mentioned, you know, the OHO cup is playoffs for that entire draft class. You played during that OHO cup in that season, only totaling one point in four games. What did other teams do to limit your effectiveness on the ice? I think they kind of fleeced me a little bit there. I think I had three or four, but uh, either way, like you mentioned, um, 
that that tournament was like a, a playoff format for all leagues across Ontario and even some from the states. So uh, there was a lot of talent in that uh, in that tournament. And uh, you know, there's a saying: the best defense is offense. So uh, in a lot of those games, I was playing uh, defense more than I was used to uh, in regular season against some really good players. You know, the Vaughn Kings had uh, Cole Perfetti. Uh, the York Simcoe Express had Quentin Byfield and Evan Veerling. So. Uh, against teams like that, you know, you're forced to, you know, go chase uh, chase pucks into your own corner and try to break out or spend a lot more time in the defensive zone. So uh, the big thing there that kind of limited uh, me offensively in that tournament was uh, playing against really good players and having to play more defense uh, and be on the, the defensive side of the puck and not uh, skating the puck out of the zone and joining the rush. You just mentioned some star-studded uh, players there. You know, Cole Perfetti, Quinn Byfield, as well as, you know, Jamie Drysdale was another player in that OHL Cup. All three of those guys are top five picks. Uh, you know, does that give you a – at the time, did that give you a good glimpse of the future of the OHL? Yeah, uh, for sure, especially heading into that tournament. You know, there's always uh, the mumbling of, of uh, draft rankings and such, and a lot of those guys were ranked really high. It's not something you like to pay attention to a lot, but uh, definitely something that you see and you don't, you know, just automatically forget about. And obviously with uh, how much skill they had in minor hockey, it was, it was pretty easy to see that they were going to make the jump to the next level and, and be really good players. So at that time, you're thinking about, you know, down the road, a lot of guys talking about Byfield being the first overall pick uh, in the NHL draft at the time, obviously ended up going second, you know, but still that's not too bad. Um, there's so there was definitely that feeling that you know some of those guys playing that tournament were going to be superstars in the future and uh Byfield ended up going second uh Drysdale sixth and Perfetti 10th I believe so although those three guys alone um are set to be the future of a couple NHL franchises and uh, I think that really speaks to the the amount of talent that goes through that tournament Speaking of the draft, actually, in the 2018 OHO draft, you were taking in the first round. What was your immediate reaction to when you saw your name pop up on the screen or when you watched, you know, I, I watched the OHO draft. Um, and, you know, what was your reaction to seeing your name? Yeah, I was super excited. Uh, obviously, it was a dream come true. You know, the last couple of years of minor hockey there, uh, that's all you're really working for. Obviously, you want to have fun, too. But for most guys, it's a dream to play at the next level. So. Uh, Unfortunately, my agent had texted me like a couple seconds before my name came up on the screen. So uh, I knew a little bit earlier and my mom's got it on video, but I'd started smiling and uh, kind of gave it away for everyone. But uh, even finding out and seeing my name on the screen, even though I already knew was um, it, it was surreal. There was I, I was speechless. I didn't really know what to say. Um, I was so excited. I had my family there, obviously, uh, my best friend, uh, my aunt as well. So. Um, being able to, to live that moment, uh, not only alone, but with everyone who had supported me through it all right there, uh, well, was one of the best moments in my life uh, and something that I still think about to this day. What did you do to celebrate that moment? Did you go out for dinner? What did you do? Um, I got a bit of a sweet tooth. So my aunt had brought some, uh, some baked goods. Uh, so that was the immediate celebration there. But uh, I think later on in the night, my family ended up having a really nice dinner at home, uh, which was awesome. And then after that, um, a bunch of guys from my minor hockey team, uh, the Rangers there, uh, we all got together and kind of hung out uh, as like a, a last hurrah sort of thing with some of us uh, undoubtedly moving on 
um, from the Rangers organization. Um, and that was, that was really fun uh, to celebrate it with those guys that, that I'd played with. Some of them I'd been playing with, sir, with for seven or eight years. So um, sharing that moment with not only my family, but some of my best friends, my brothers that I'd uh, made that journey with was, was really awesome for me. You played a full 62 game season during your rookie year. How did you deal with, you know, I guess all the pressure that you put on yourself? Cause you know, there is the pressure that comes with, you know, living up to uh, being a first round pick. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the big thing for me was, you know, we were a little bit of a weaker team my first year. So uh, I was being put out in situations that were, you know, completely new to me. I was playing against uh, first lines guys who were first round picks to the NHL. Um, and that the, the first, I want to say 10 games was a real adjustment period for me. I was figuring out uh, gaps, uh, how to defend guys one-on-one because I'd never seen this much talent before. So um, the big thing for me, my first year was accepting that I was going to, I was going to get beat. I was going to make mistakes uh, like everyone and just trying to learn from it and, you know, not put too much pressure on myself um, and not try to do too much. Uh, because, you know, when you do too much, that's when you start making turnovers, making mistakes. Uh, so the big thing for me to keep the pressure off myself uh, and just play hockey was be simple, uh, believe in myself and uh, my talent, because uh, that's what got me to, the, to that sp- uh, spot in the first place. We can all speak about the negative things, but in your opinion, what were some things that you did positive during your rookie year? Yeah, there was uh, a few things that I think I did really well at, you know, I was, I was minus 44 uh, in that year, but I don't think that was uh, quite indicative of how I played um, towards the, the second half of the season. I think I had developed a lot uh, on the defensive side of the puck uh, in playing against some of the, the better guys in the league. Um, that was something that I carried over into my, my second year and I cut my plus minus in half, but um, I also, you know, as the season went on, uh, I got more confident with the puck. Uh, I believe I had two points in the first half of the season and I ended up putting up six in the second half, you know, not massive numbers by any means, but um, I tripled my production in the second half. Uh, so just for me, the thing that progressed uh, as the year and the thing that I think I did really well my first year uh, was making simple, solid plays uh, and being reliable with the puck, um, you know, not throwing things away too much or uh, making too many turnovers. I guess one of the positive things that, you know, we could mention is that you did get your first OHL goal during your rookie campaign. Do you remember the story of how you scored it? Yeah, I remember it. I still have the video on my phone too. Uh, so it was Brett Newman. He got the puck uh, just over the red line and chipped it around uh, Mac Hollowell into the left corner. And then he made a backhand uh, rim pass around to Jason Robertson, who, I spun off a guy and started walking up the wall and hit me uh, in the seam on the left side. I did a little fake slap shot and uh, whoever the right winger was kind of went down. I pulled it back and just took a wrist shot and it ended up going in uh, on the top right corner over the glove. Uh, Honestly, I had no idea it went in. I didn't expect it to go in at all because there wasn't screen or anything. Uh, But I looked up and I saw the puck had bounced out of the net and kind of made its way back to the hash mark area. Um, and I didn't really know what to think. I didn't know how to celebrate. So I kind of just put my hands up in the air and uh, all my teammates came and gave me a hug. Just a pure snipe show. Yeah. I, I mean, it was a, it was a pretty nice shot. Um, you know, not something that I've done a lot, uh, in my two years in the league, but, uh, I would say it was a pretty nice first goal. 
And, you know, did that kind of, I guess, relieve some stress or, you know, take the monkey off your back that you did get your first uh, OHL goal? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's it's always a thought in your head, you know, like you don't want to, you just want to score your first goal. You want to stop thinking about it. You want to get it out of the way. Um, I was lucky enough to get my first point in my second game, but uh, it was another nine games until I scored my first goal. So during those uh, nine games, it was pretty so it's a pretty relevant thought, you know, you're thinking about it a lot uh, and you just want it to happen because you know, not only is it exciting, uh, you just, you don't want to have to wait until your second year and wait a whole off season to, uh, to score your first goal. Cause you know, one of my buddies did it uh, it ended up working out pretty well for him, Luke Evangelista, but um, you know, it's, it's something that you're anxious to do and uh, the shorter the wait time, uh, the better. Well, you actually did play with uh, Luke Evangelista during, uh, you know, your time with the Oakville Rangers. What could you say about his play? And, you know, he did get selected in the first round. Yeah, he, uh, from our last year of uh, minor hockey there and minor midget uh, to obviously last year and being selected by Nashville, um, he not only developed uh, skill-wise, uh, but also in the gym we work out together, he uh he worked his tail off as well. He bulked up, uh, put on a lot of weight and got a lot stronger. And obviously that translates into, into skating, edge work, um, balance, everything. So um, he put in the work and he developed himself physically uh, and also skill-wise. Uh, and it was awesome to see his hard work pay off and him have uh, such a good season. You participated in the U17 for Team Canada Red. What was that whole experience like for you? That was an awesome experience, uh, obviously playing with guys uh, from across the, the country, uh, playing in all sorts of different leagues uh, was a phenomenal experience, seeing kind of uh, glimpses of the skill levels and the style of play from the, the QMJHL and the WHL. That was awesome. And, you know, getting to play with, uh, for me, Caden Gooley, who was also a first round pick, uh, who played in the WHL um, was really cool. And Obviously, you know, you're there for a couple weeks um, for camp and then another couple weeks for the actual tournament. Um, getting to build those bonds with guys from all across the country, like I mentioned, uh, and make new friends was a fantastic experience. And then there's the whole aspect of playing against the best players from all across the world as well. Uh, you know, I got to play against uh, Alexander Holtz and Lucas Raymond twice. Um, and, you know, those are both guys that went in the top 10 as well. So there's, uh, there's nothing bad to say about that experience. You know, it's, it's something that I'll never forget. Uh, I've got my jersey in the closet there. I've got my name plates on my closet door. So I got a whole bunch of stuff going around in the room uh, from that experience. And how, so you just mentioned the name plates and the stuff they kind of kept from your uh, time with U17 can Team Canada Red. How important is it for you to keep those as, you know, souvenirs or stuff to remember later on? It's super important to me, you know, especially the jersey. That's something that one day, you know, when I'm in my own house, when I'm living on my own or I start a family, uh, that's something that I'm going to want to be, you know, framed uh, behind the bar or something in the basement. Uh, you know, as well as the hats, uh, the shirts I still wear to work out with. Um, just having that, that memory that every time I see it, I kind of have that flashback of how awesome it was and how much fun I had. Uh, it was really important to me. Last season, you were named the assistant captain for the Kingston Frontenacs. How valuable was get, was it getting that letter to your jersey? That was a uh, was an extreme honor for me, uh, knowing that the coaching staff and management uh, had portrayed that trust in me uh, to be a good leader. 
as well as the guys in the room because uh, we did a little bit of a vote uh, to kind of help the, the coaches and the staff decide. Uh, so that meant a lot to me that uh, not only my teammates and my peers, uh, but my coaches and general manager as well uh, saw that in me uh, to be a good leader uh, meant a lot to me. You know, obviously, uh, whether I got it or not, I was still going to do what I could uh, to be a leader and, and help our team take the next step. Uh, but I think it was really awesome. And I'm extremely thankful that uh, they trusted me enough to, to give me that leadership role. And you guys had a pretty young team. So it was like you you were appointed as almost like a veteran, even though it was only your second year in. Yeah, uh, you're, you're right about that. We had a really young team. I think uh, throughout the CHL, we were either the youngest or second youngest on average uh, by age. But uh, even later on in the year when uh, Shaner was given an A and then Nick King was uh, given an A as well, we had a... Uh, kind of a good split uh, of our leadership group you know two were always uh, Shane was a rookie and I was our first year athlete and I was uh, a sophomore so um, that was effective in kind of separating the divide between uh, the veterans and the younger players uh, so having that younger group um, with younger leaders on that team I think did a really good job in uh, uniting our room which is something that is going to benefit us going forward. During that season, you had 15 points in 62 games. Just how important was it looking back on having your rookie year and then, you know, using that rookie year to your advantage, essentially? Yeah, having a, a rookie year where, you know, I gained a lot of experience uh, playing against top players uh, was really beneficial to me because going into my second year, I knew I was going to be doing the same thing uh, again. So I wasn't as uh, I wasn't as intimidated. I wasn't as worried about uh, that. And I allowed myself to kind of focus on the offensive game uh, a little bit more. Obviously, uh, my numbers doubled, uh, ba basically doubled uh, to 15 points. You know, that's not uh, whopping by any means, uh, but it was a step in the right direction um, that next year I can uh, focus on even more uh, producing offensively uh, while also being reliable defensively so that, you know, I can contribute to our team, our growing group, um, and contribute to a hopeful championship run in the next couple of years. Shane Wright is the face of the franchise for the Kingston Frontenac since he was granted exceptional status, but it shouldn't go without mentioning Zade Wisdom as well, who did get uh, drafted in the mid rounds to the Philadelphia Flyers. You both had them as teammates. What are you able to say about their play? Obviously they're both uh, really special stories uh, with Shane being exceptional status. You know, that's, uh, few and far in between uh, in terms of guys who get granted that. Um, and it was pretty evident last year. He had 66 points. He, uh, he tied McDavid's record uh, for exceptional status points uh, as a rookie uh, with, I think he had five or six more games to go. And he was, uh, I think, 10 points off of Tavares. So um, he's, he's uh, with some elite company uh, and he's a, a fantastic player. You know, a guy that probably could get away with uh, without working as hard as he does but uh, every practice uh, every time we work out uh, he gives it 100% so I think uh, it's not only he's a good role model for other guys to follow uh, that's why he ended up getting his letter um, he's a fantastic player and a fantastic human as well and obviously with Wiz uh, I think a lot of hockey fans have heard about his story with uh, the coverage that I think it was ESPN maybe had done uh, or Sports Center. Uh, but fantastic story on his part as well. You know, he's been a fighter from day one and he's worked his tail off. He's defied odds and um, 
not only did he have a humongous breakout season last year and was a huge part of our offense, but uh, character wise as well, it kind of shows that, uh, you know, never say never because uh, he's the epitome of hard work. And uh, I think we can all see that in, the, see that in his game. But uh, once you hear about his story as well um, and what he worked through, uh, it's, I'm, I'm really glad that I've got to play, uh, play with a guy like Wes. There's a lot to learn from him. Shane Wright seems to be on the projection of a Connor McDavid level. If you look at the stats, advanced stats, and like you mentioned, he tied the uh, points for most exceptional status points in an OHL season. You know, when you hear all of that news, when you hear the buzz around Shane Wright, what does that mean to you to be a teammate of his? Yeah, obviously, um, there's a lot of people, a lot of young fans already that look up to him and uh, think, you know, he's an amazing player. Um and would, you know, kill for his autograph or take a picture with him. Um, and, you know, from time to time, I think about that, like, wow. Uh, like, I drove him everywhere last year. He, I was his ride. So, um, you know, from time to time, you think, you know, it's pretty cool um, being friends with him and being teammates with him. But uh, for the most part, to me, Shaner, Shaner's a good friend. Like, we spent a lot of time uh, around each other. Uh, we work out together in the summer. Obviously, all season, we're together. Um so I don't think about that too much, you know, when I'm with Shaner, when I think about Shaner, I just think of um, a good teammate, a good friend, and obviously a good hockey player as well. But uh, the big one is him being a really great friend because, you know, I don't want to make it all about hockey for him. And he's a human being too. So um, that's, that's I, I, I consider myself lucky to have him a friend because uh, he's been a great friend for me so far. So you were his vet essentially, because that's, that's what I'm getting when you say that you drove him around. Uh, I, I wouldn't quite say I was his vet. Um, I, I wasn't really even a vet myself, but uh, we just happened to be, uh, like I happened to be the closest guy to him. So I'd pick him up for school in the morning uh, and drive him home just because uh, that's the way the cookie crumbles, you know. Um, you pick up the guy who's most convenient for you. Uh, so you're not going out of your way and wasting a bunch of time. Uh, and for Shaner, I happened to be that guy who was closest to him. If the season had continued for you guys, it seemed like you guys were making a push for the playoffs there at the end of the regular season. And, you know, with the things that would have played out, it seemed as though you guys would have played Ottawa in the first round. How difficult of a matchup would that have been for you guys? Yeah, obviously it would have been a really tough matchup. Uh, Ottawa's a really skilled team. Uh, they had three really uh, solid lines up front and then a solid decor as well with Hoffenmeyer. Um it was uh, definitely always a touch, tough matchup uh, against them. They were obviously coached really well with Andre Tourmi. He was uh, world junior head coach as well. Um, so that, that would have been a really tough matchup, you know, best of seven series, having to play at least four games. I think we would have played uh, a couple more. I think we would have managed to steal a couple from them at least. Um, but you know, like you mentioned, it was going to be a really tough matchup, uh, but that was something that we were up for. Uh, even if we ended up losing in the first round, it's, it would have been valuable playoff experience. Um, and I think we were, we were ready to bring our best game had uh, the finish, the season finished out and had we held on to that playoff spot. Cause who knows who happened, what happens in the playoffs? You know, we look at the regular season schedule and, you know, it shows that Ottawa has your guys's number throughout the regular season, but the playoffs are a completely different animal and in a best of seven, literally anything can happen. Yeah, exactly. Especially when you're playing the same team, over and over again you know there's uh there's things that can happen in a game that'll uh, intensify the rivalry a little bit so uh, you never know what could have happened um behind the scenes there that could have fired us up and uh you know kind of added a, a little bit more fuel to the fire and and really got us going and playing our best hockey so 
anything could have happened. Uh, I know a lot of people probably assume that Ottawa would have made pretty easy work of us, but uh, I think that we would have made it tougher on them than most people think. Never count out bottom feeder teams because like we see in the NHL, you know, like New Jersey's doing pretty well against Boston. Uh, you know, Ottawa's doing pretty well against, uh, you know, Montreal. So, you know, it, it's, it goes to show that you should never count out any team in any circumstance. Yeah, exactly. Even if you look at the St. Louis Blues uh, when they won the Stanley Cup, I think they were last place in the league after Christmas, um, you know, last offseason uh, before I headed into my second year. I had the pleasure of speaking to Alex Petrangelo. Um, he was uh, my coach, Luca Caputi. They played together uh, on the Mississauga Ice Dogs. And uh, he actually had Petra out to one of our skates. And I got to stick back and talk to him a little bit after uh, and talk to him about that year. Obviously, he was the captain of that team. Uh, and he went through the whole coaching change. And uh, they went from last place after Christmas to Stanley Cup champions. So, um, you know, like you said, you can never count out uh, anyone because especially at the higher levels. Uh, players are there for a reason. Uh, they're good players and they can make things happen. How big of a mentor was Petrangelo to you? Uh, I only spoke to him the one time, uh, but obviously with the experience that he has um, being a pro for so long, being the captain uh, of the Stanley Cup champion, uh, the 20 or 30 minutes that I spent talking to him there was uh, really valuable to me. He shared a lot of really good information uh, and advice with me and um, Obviously, you know, as a player like him who makes that much money and is as talented as they are, um, has a lot to say. They've been through a lot as well, and uh, they've played with a lot of really good players uh, who have, you know, passed on things to them. Uh, so I, I just tried to be like a little bit of a sponge in that moment, just soak up as much as I could. What is your pregame routine? I like to be really early, uh, you know, first seven o'clock game, uh, which most games would be. Uh, I like to show up at 4.15, you know, two hours and 45 minutes before the game. I get there, I take my time changing into my kitchen, my warm-up gear. Uh, I'll usually have a, a snack of some sorts, a bagel or toast um, after I've gotten my gitch on. And then uh, I'll spend a little bit of time rolling out uh, and stretching. Then I'll go tape up my sticks. Uh, and by the time I'm taping up my sticks, that's when most guys uh, have arrived. Uh, so we'll sit around for a little bit. Uh, I'll sit in my stall, talk to some guys in the room. Uh, and then our coaches last year would come in. We'd do a power play and penalty kill meetings. And then a little bit of a, a meeting for uh, even strength just to cover some things uh, about the other team. Uh, and then after that, uh, that's when the whole you know team warm-up starts. Um, play a couple games of sewer. And then I'd go get dressed. I'd leave a little bit early because uh, I had to get dressed uh, when the clock inside of our room started counting down. It starts at 40 and you have to be on the ice at 16. Uh, so as soon as the clock hit 40 and it started counting down, that's when I started getting ready. Uh, and I had to be ready by 22 minutes. Are you superstitious at all? Uh, I'm not too superstitious. No, uh, I don't have much to be superstitious about. Uh, I don't have a, a tape job that scores me goals or anything. I've only scored five and 124 games in the league, I believe it is. But, um, you know, I, I like to use the same tape job. Uh, I don't like to change it up too much. The only really superstition that I have uh, is I put the left piece of equipment on first for everything. So left shin pad before right, left sock before right, uh, left elbow pad. Uh, I tie my left skate first. Because um, if I don't, it just, it feels wrong. Um, yeah, that's, that's the only real superstition I have is uh, I do everything on the left side first. Did you get the opportunity to play any of the special teams this season? 
Yeah, I played a lot of uh, penalty kill. Um, and I played a fair bit of power play. Uh, I started the season on the, the first unit. Um, I went on a little bit of a point streak. Uh, I think I had eight points in nine games. And then uh, we picked up Nick King, uh, and he took my spot on the first power play unit because uh, obviously the year before he had, I believe, 45 points in North Bay. Uh, so that was a logical move. And then uh, I, I was on the second unit for a while. And then I ended up splitting time uh, with a couple guys on the second unit at the end of the year. How fun is it getting that opportunity to be on the ice, whether it's for a penalty kill, a crucial penalty kill, or whether it's for a crucial power play? It's a lot of fun. Obviously, uh, in a lot of situations, they're pretty high pressure moments. Penalty kill, you may be defending uh, a one goal lead or you're tied and you can't let a goal in. And for power plays, you may need a big goal or you're tied and you may need a go ahead goal. So uh, being on the ice in, in high stakes scenarios like that uh, is really fun. You know, the adrenaline uh, can make you a little nervous sometimes, but um, that's what you live for. Exciting moments like that in hockey. Speaking on the tactics of the penalty kill, do you guys tend to be more aggressive or more passive? Uh, last year, uh, we switched uh, switched up a little bit uh, between a couple different uh, penalty kill systems, trying to find one that worked. So we were a mix of aggressive uh, and passive. But this year, uh, with the Zoom calls that we've had so far talking about our systems, I think we're going to be uh, more aggressive this year for sure. And does that kind of depend on what team you play? Like, you know, would you be more aggressive uh, when playing against Ottawa, more passive when playing against Hamilton, for example? Uh, I think definitely against um, where we're going to be aggressive uh, all the time. But there are, I think, the, the couple of teams like you mentioned, Ottawa uh, or even London, who we probably won't play this year. But in a regular year, uh, when they have so much skill, uh, you can't give them any time. You have to be really aggressive and try to force them to make a mistake or you know, try to force them to make four really good passes. And if they make four really good passes and make a backdoor pass for a tap in, you got to tip your hat. Like that's a lot of that. That's really good hockey. You can't do anything about that. But uh, yeah, the more you're, the more aggressive you are against uh, higher skilled power play units like that, um, the more likely they are to, you know, fumble a pass or you're getting a stick uh, on a pass and deflecting a puck and getting it clear. What arena do you think in the OHL has the best away atmosphere? I think the best away atmosphere uh, is either uh, Budweiser Gardens or, or the Odd. Uh, playing against Kitchener and London on the road, both are, are pretty wild. Uh, obviously, bigger rinks, uh, a lot of fans in both. Um, and, you know, the more fans there are, the louder it is, uh, the more of an NHL atmosphere you kind of uh, you kind of feel from the ice level. So uh, those two uh, are really are really close up there as well. And then other than that, um, Oshawa is really good as well. Um, from the two games that I've played in Saginaw, uh, it's been really good. And uh, Sault Ste. Marie as well is usually pretty wild. Have you ever played in a teddy bear toss game? I have played in, I believe, three. Uh, my first year, Sarnia's teddy bear toss game at home was against us. We were on the road. Uh, obviously we had our teddy bear toss game, uh, as well. And then just this past season, uh, we had our home teddy bear toss as well, but I don't think I played uh, in a teddy bear toss game on the road last year. So I think I've played in three. And what's that whole atmosphere like when you watch the tens of thousands of bears rain down on the ice? It's pretty cool. Um, 
obviously, you know, you see how many people there are uh, in the stadium. So you can kind of get a, or in the arena, sorry, and you can kind of get a feeling of how many you think there may be. Uh, but then you don't take into account that, you know, some people bring two, three, four, maybe even five. Uh, so it's just like a, a constant rainstorm almost of teddy bears falling and it doesn't seem to stop for like a good five minutes. So um, it, it's really cool to see them all fall like that. And obviously the cause behind it um, is awesome as well. So uh, being a part of those uh, is always, always a lot of fun. And there's always a competition to see who can score the teddy bear toss goal as well, uh, which is exciting. What do you think is the hardest thing about the OHL? Uh, the hardest thing for me uh, we've got really busy schedules uh, between school and uh, how many games and practices we have. Uh, trying to balance schoolwork and hockey and meet deadlines and find time, you know, on the road to do schoolwork and get assignments done uh, has been pretty tough for me on multiple occasions. Uh, I'd, be, I'd be doing homework on the bus at three in the morning on the way back from North Bay or whatever. Um, that, that's the big thing for me, for sure. Uh, you know, you have long days as well. You go to school in the morning, you get out around 1.30, you go right to practice, get on the ice, uh, you practice. This is for the, the high school guys. Um, and then you stay after practice, you do your workout, and then you're home around 5.36. So, um, you know, for your first couple of years in the OHL, you have really long days uh, and you struggle often to, to find a balance between school and hockey. And just how important is it to have a, you know, I guess, educator uh, on the team or, you know, someone to reach out to when you do have struggles, uh, you know, with prioritizing? It's super important. Uh, we, for my first two years here, uh, when I've been in high school, we have uh, a phenomenal guidance counselor uh, who anytime we need anything, we can reach out to her and she will, she'll talk to our teachers for us, try to get us extensions or uh, talk to them and try to get them to give us notes or something that we can take on the road to help us with our homework. Um, you know, as long as you show respect and you put in an effort with your teachers and at school, um, they're willing to do anything for you because uh, they know that you're trying and that you're respecting the school and the staff. Um, so having, having that resource uh, is super important. And quite frankly, I don't know what I would have done uh, without our guidance counselor, Ms. Holton. And last question here, uh, you know, do you have any advice for, you know, I guess young hockey players that may look up to you? Yeah, definitely. Um, the, the first thing I can say is, it sounds like a bit of a cliche, uh, but if you work hard enough, if you put your head down and, uh, and don't listen to other people uh, and believe in yourself, uh, you'll be surprised at how far you can make it. Uh, obviously, Talent isn't always uh, natural, but some of it can be developed through hard work. And then um, the other thing is just also, it's quite cliche, but uh, don't give up. Like you see a lot of, a lot of guys going through the OHL undrafted, uh, like Duncan Keith, uh, he went through the OHL undrafted, signed as a free agent. Uh, he was a second round pick in the NHL and he's won three Stanley Cups now. Um, there's guys who don't get drafted their first go round in the NHL and get drafted in their second or third uh, year of eligibility. So uh, it's a combination of working hard and believing in yourself. Because uh, no matter how much other people believe in you, uh, if you don't believe in yourself, uh, you won't develop, you won't get any better. So um, as long as you can put your head down and go to work, and while you're doing it, believe that you're getting better, uh, you can go far. 
Well, I'd like to thank Jake Murray for joining me on today's podcast. Thank you again, Jake. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure.